Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. You are joining us in episode 94 of the Naturally Nourished podcast, Made Whole with guest Christina Kerr. I met Christina at Paleo FX and she was a total contagious ball of energy. She came up to me after my anti-anxiety diet lecture and was super enthusiastic about the food as medicine messaging. And we discovered that we both had book babies (laughs) due around the same time. So we immediately connected. I love it. And I've loved watching her story since connecting with her at Paleo FX and learning more about Christina's background as a chef, because I think you guys are going to hear it, but she's got some really drool-worthy, amazing, amazing recipes that don't make AIP or keto or paleo feel restrictive at all. Um, So I'll read her bio, and then we'll jump right in with Christina. Christina is the creative mind behind the Castaway Kitchen, a blog dedicated to delicious foods and healing diets. In the last few years, through self-experimentation and dedication, Christina has healed her body from leaky gut and has lost over 60 pounds, putting her autoimmune disease in remission as well. Using her restaurant chef skills and love for food, she now creates recipes to help others find health and happiness through keto, paleo, and AIP lifestyles. Her mission is to spread the word that food is thy medicine and that it should taste damn good. And her book, Made Whole, just came out last week with a whole foods approach to keto and autoimmune protocols. So without further ado, let's bring her on in. So welcome, Christina. We are so stoked to have you on the Naturally Nourished podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. And this is perfect timing because the book came out last week, so here we are. I'm sure if any of you listeners haven't gotten a copy, we're going to convince you today why you need one. (laughs) But let's talk about, in your book, um, you identify, so the book Made Whole, of course, you identify the definition of make whole, to restore to a sound, healthy, or favorable condition, to repair, to heal. Um, I loved that, and it really resonated strongly with me. Um, Can you share with us your process with your autoimmune condition and postpartum health and kind of how, maybe not yet diet, but just the concept of the journey of making yourself whole and what that looks like? Absolutely. So I've had, I, my main condition is hydrogenitis superativa, which is I think the one that was my big why when I, where I started all of this. And it's an inflammatory skin condition. It's very painful. It's very debilitating. It causes like painful boils and abscesses. And it started when I was a teenager. So, oh my gosh, talk about like something that strongly impacted my life. Um, and oddly enough, I was, it was just because the doctors didn't help me. I was a dermatologist and everyone just gave me creams and salves and antibiotics and nothing worked. And it just became part of my normal, right? I just lived this kind of like subpar quality of life. But having a a child was, um, 
well, pregnancy in general can really affect autoimmune issues. And while hydrogenitis is one of the few, it does not go into remission during pregnancy. It actually got worse and then continued to get worse after I had my son. I kind of just spiraled downward. You know, motherhood is difficult, even if you're doing everything right. You're not sleeping as much. There's a new stress level involved, especially the early years. I always say the first two years are like hard time. Right. They're very <laughs> every new. birthday, every birthday. It's like we did it. Exactly. <laughs> we survived. Um, so my son was two years postpartum. I had just weaned him and I found myself miserable. I was about to turn 30. So I was 29 years old and I was fatigued. I was extremely overweight. My hydrogenitis had spread to several areas of my body. It spread to my breast. And let me tell you, nursing with painful boils on under my breast was like the worst thing ever. It was hard. And so I, I just, I hit that wall where I was like, I'm about to turn 30 and I feel awful all the time. I'm tired. I don't have energy to even play with my son. Um, I don't, I don't look good. I don't feel good. I was, and I was, I was depressed. And so being a chef, um, I felt like the one thing I could control in my life was food. Yeah. Um, so that was the gateway. And I think that it's okay for food to be that one stepping, like that starting point, which it is for a lot of people, but really it took a hell of a lot of determination and a sense of like, you know, how do you say like an investigator? I had to become this like sleuth to figure out how to get my body um, to function properly because there was a lot going on there. And, the, you know, while I focused on the hydrogenitis at first, I ended up unraveling this whole history of autoimmune disease and just inflammatory issues that I've been mitigating now for several years. But um, it, it all began with kind of hitting that rock bottom and realizing that as a young mom, like I was not okay. And that's not, yeah. not okay to not be okay. Like we should, we all deserve to thrive and be happy and healthy and we can do it. We just don't have the tools like accessible because we don't know. You can't fix what you don't know. So, um, I kind of had to dive down that rabbit hole. I love that. And I love that food was kind of the, the gateway or, or entry point in the part that you could control. We say that all the time to clients. It's like, you're going through this turmoil in your life. Okay, get in the kitchen and make something delicious and then do it again tomorrow. And it's kind of this if slow anything, yes. step. Yeah. Off the boxes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so let's talk, Christina, about your progression of your diet and how you went, I think, from Whole30 to Paleo to AIP to Keto and, and kind of what that all looked like in terms of your transition and this investigative work of what worked for your body. Yeah. So I, I was, I had already been dabbling in gluten-free, um, just because, so I did paleo back in 2000 and like three, like, but with a holistic, uh, like doctor of functional medicine doctor when I was in my early twenties. Um, and so it was kind of already there in the back of my mind, like, okay, I should probably go back to that to like feel better. Even though in my twenties, I didn't like see great results because I was like, partying every night and drinking and smoking cigarettes and doing gross things because <laughs> I grew up in, I was a Miami party girl in my college years, but I kind of knew that like, okay, that there's, I, it, it, it sounded great to me. Like, Hey, let's eat like plants and animals. Right. It feels, feels like a good idea. Right. When you need to eat healthy. So I, I've been gluten dabbling in gluten free. Um, so when I really wanted to optimize my health, um, 
I kind of went online and I found this website, this article on Rob Wolf's website, right? He wrote the paleo solution. So it came up when I looked up paleo stuff and there was an article by Tara Grant who she has hydronitis superativa and she wrote the hidden play, which is a book specifically about the skin condition and how to put it in remission through diet, which was like a modified AIP. Um, and the interesting, the thing is that even though I, I read it and I knew it, I couldn't commit to it right away. It was terrifying. Sure. I was like, what do you mean coffee and nuts and what chocolate? Like no pepper. What? <laughs> right. right. And so I did a whole 30, right? I was like on Instagram, I started following all these like paleo foodies and I kept seeing this whole 30 thing. And I was like, I think at that point, even though I'm not a rule follower, I was so kind of lost back then that the strict structure and rules of the whole 30 program of like, it kind of, I kind of needed those boundaries. Mm -hmm. I think I was in a severe like food binging habit back then. So I did a whole 30 and I think I was just so damn proud of myself when I did it. I was like, wow. I, and I did it 30 days before I turned 30 years old. I was like, I got to turn this ship around. So I did it and I, and I felt so accomplished. So I stayed paleo and then I did like another whole 30. And then finally I was like, okay, I think I can do the AIP now. I, like, I, I felt capable of, of accomplishing it at that point. So I dove into the autoimmune protocol and I really thrived in it. You know, I think because I have the chef background and I, got, I learned instead of to, you know, I had my pity party. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I, 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 I mourned, I mourned the tomatoes. I mourned the peppers, the seasonings. I think those are the hardest things to let go of the seasonings. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Um, but I dove in and I did it and I began to really like experiment with the food and I was enjoying the food I was eating. Um, and really that's my whole business kind of came about during that period of my life where I was like, Hey, I'm cooking this stuff and I'm making it taste good. And some people need help in this arena. So let me share what I'm doing. Um, but and you know, how how long did it take you to start to see outcomes? What was the timeline of turnaround with the dermatological condition? So that was about four months where I started seeing direct correlation between um, like my flares being shorter or less painful. Okay. Um, and I began reintroductions and I, I had fairly successful reintroductions. Um, but I still kind of hit, a, after four, I was about month six with a few successful reintroductions. I hit that wall again where I felt like plateaued in my healing. I, I wasn't finding a hundred percent remission. Um, again, I started feeling fatigued and, okay. and I started gaining weight again. I was like, how am I putting on weight? I'm like eating so healthy and I really hadn't changed anything. And so I looked into, you know, you're already, when you're in those circles, right? When those are the websites you frequent, AIP, paleo, there's just certain terms and things that you like become familiar with, right? Yes, yes. Like the small intestine bacterial overgrowth or FODMAPs or whatever. So right. um, I was, I, you know, reading around those things. I was like, okay, this small intestine bacterial overgrowth, that, that, that's those symptoms. I, they sound familiar. So let me just try giving up some starches, right? I was eating so much starch on the AIP, like sure. all the yuca root and yes. the sweet potato and the cassava flour, which is like insanely starchy. Um, and then I, I really saw an improvement with that removal of starches in my diet. And I started really feeling good on the slower carb version of, of AIP modified. And I just, kept tweaking it, right? And going, okay, butternut squash, maybe a little less butternut squash, maybe a little less fruit, 
um, maybe berries instead of apples and kind of making these changes. And I found my way through searching through recipes and just information on like, how low can I go? Or I just looking for direction, right? Because right. I think when you're doing this on your own, you kind of search for validation. From yeah, yeah. People, you're like, yeah, what am I doing this right? Like, what, what am I even doing? So I would search the internet. And um, I, Rob Wolf came out with his book around that time, Wired to Eat. Mm-hmm. Great book, bought it. I did the seven day carb test in his book and um, was like, oh, oh, hey, I'm insulin resistant. I got to that point. I didn't even know what that was, but his book really explains it well. And that made a lot of sense on why the high starch nature wasn't doing me any favors um, of the AIP. And so I, that's when I kind of found keto. And as you know, there's a lot of keto resources out there that aren't like in line, let's say with autoimmune protocol or even paleo friendly. Sure. And at that point I was like hardcore, like my (laughs) paleo, paleo blood. Like I really identified with that food. Uh So I I felt like I can't, couldn't give up paleo. So I kind of just called it low carb paleo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and at that time there was a big kind of, I think surge anti-keto from the paleo community. I agree. Uh, It was like this, like, you know, uh, wolf in sheepskin or whatever, fill in the blank, (laughs) kind of like stepping outside of the boundaries, being a rebel. (laughs) Right. So I was kind of, I was a little, and you know, one thing, even with the AIP that I felt with the online community is that once you start adding in reintroductions as a blogger, I felt a little abandoned, like, oh, I can eat black pepper now, or I can eat eggs, or I can eat nuts but I still don't do nightshades or dairy or gluten. So like, what am I now? Like I'm not right. a, so it was like, I, I had this, this uh, weird transient kind of time where I, I felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's how I just figured it out. I mean, I really just kept troubleshooting. I think once the haze of like depression and brain fog started to lift and I started seeing results and I saw how powerful it was like diet for my health and everything, I became obsessed. Like I'm like not stopping until I'm superhuman. Like that's yep. it. <laughs> <laughs> I got it girl. That's awesome. And, and so was it, it was really AIP where you started to see the autoimmune healing process, but the weight and the neurological or emotional and maybe mood stability is that when you felt keto kicked in or definitely. So with me, a lot of the weight issues were also tied into like hormone imbalance and like liver dysfunction, um, which I had like, I did the Dutch test in, it was in January, I think it was like right after I had like already done like low starch for a while. Um, and yeah, I came back, my hormones were like all sorts of crazy estrogen dominance and adrenal fatigue and all this stuff. And I did the insulin resistance, like seven day carb test. And it kind of was all just like, Oh, duh. Right. But I do so focused on leaky gut. Right. Cause of the AIP, right. body, they don't really talk about those other things that that was just the leaky gut, leaky gut, leaky gut. I didn't realize I had a lot of other things happening under the hood. Um, so when I, w- I was working as integrative medicine doctor in Hawaii and he was like, yeah, he's like insulin resistant, estrogen dominance, they kind of go hand in hand. He gave me a book funny, like by, uh, I think Jack, was it his name? Jack Crusoe, the paleo, um, the epi paleo prescription. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I've been doing paleo for a while. Like I kind of, but I talked to him about like, Hey, I've been looking into this keto thing. Like, what do you think? And he was like, yeah, go for it. And so I did that for like six months, went back, had my hormones tested again through him, not with the Dutch test, but there was a lot of vast improvement, especially in um, like my estrogen. So I was like, you know what? And I started seeing a difference. Like I had lost some weight when I first went paleo and AIP, 
but I was, it was like in my hips or like in my, in my thighs, which was weird in my arms. And I've always been a big girl, but I was curvy, but like, like hourglassy figured, I guess. But for the first time in my life, I'm like, I I'm round in the middle. Like I'm losing weight, uh, but not in the middle. And so I had that like typical insulin resistant like body. Yeah. Right. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was just very, I, I didn't like it. And it wasn't until I went, um, until I was fat adapted that that fat on my like on my torso started finally moving. Um, and we talked about this during your live on my Instagram, like the, the detox symptoms, like, mm-hmm. ho- Oh boy, I had to brace myself for those. Um, because you know, I had a history of, of not so healthy living, you know, my yeah. youth, and there was a lot of toxins stored in there. So it was a whole life overhaul. I mean, clean beauty products switched over to like non-toxic skincare, and beauty care, I started learning a lot about like the estrogenic compounds and like household goods and like plastic. So I really went full blown like overhaul on all of that to get my hormones in check. Um, awesome. And keto yeah. has just been amazing for that. Yeah. Yeah, and beyond the the physical changes and and the shift of autoimmune remission and feeling better in your body and seeing that body comp change, um, let's talk a little bit about the self-love and acceptance piece. Um, You say uh, self-love is the key. Eating well is a way of respecting yourself and working out is a celebration of what your body is capable of. I just love this and um, we pulled this to to talk to you about, but um, let's talk about how you got there or uh, just a little bit more of that connection. Yeah. So I've struggled with like self-love and body image issues my whole life. Not just was I overweight forever, like since I was tiny, but then of course this like skin condition and, and you know, not every autoimmune disease leaves like physical mis- right. manifestations. Like I have scars forever and they're not going anywhere. Um, and so it was hard to come to terms with, doesn't matter how much I change my body. I'm always going to have scars. I'm always going to, there's always going to be um, evidence of this disease on me and evidence of having a child or of being overweight, yeah. <laughs> stretch marks. Like, and I think I was so obsessed with what I could control and the food and the this, and I was working out and that I totally forgot about the self-love part. And that was its own roadblock where I was just like crying to my mom on the phone one day and I was like, I'm doing everything right and nothing's happening and I feel so stuck. And she was, um, she, she suggested I talk to an energy healer. Because my okay. family is like totally kooky and awesome. And <laughs> they are. They're super woo and I love it. And so I was like, mom, mom, that's she's someone stealing your money. You're getting caught. <laughs> and she's like, listen, she's like, one hour with this lady on the phone, whether it's true or not, is the is like better than 10 years of therapy that I paid for. Just give it a shot. I was like, oh my God, fine. And you know what? I don't know if this lady, if the energy healing is a thing or not, but it did help. And I've had, I did like three sessions with her over the course of a few months, but I think it was just talking to somebody and feeling validation for like trauma that that I felt in my life or like there was just all this hurt inside. And I think once I addressed that, I felt lighter and in feeling like I was healing that I began to appreciate myself more, my body, what I've been through. And then I integrated like affirmations um, and like positive manifestations and all those (laughs) Like, I, I know people think it's like, you know, BS or whatever, but it really like just saying nice things to myself, you say it enough, you're going to start believing it. Absolutely. Yeah. We always say, don't mind our inner city <laughs> sirens that are going yeah, on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, we always say that I, when I'm talking about mantras uh, with clients that it's like, you know, using your bicep with a weight, you have to work it so much that it becomes almost passive so that when you breathe, that positive thought process is just organically there. And in the beginning, it's an effort, just like building a muscle and, you know, you're working that system, but you need to kind of empower those tools in your tool belt because you're going to need it, especially when you're going through a process of a dynamic diet change and, and trying to be the healer of your own body. Absolutely. And I, I think a big component with that and with me finding like happiness through all this is that it's a lot, I talk a lot about perspective in my book because as someone who wanted to lose weight, I also realized that I often in my journey sabotaged my health to lose weight where I over restricted yeah. or I just did something, you know, because I was like, well, I'm going to, I know I'm going to see weight loss results if I do this, but it wasn't what my body needed to balance my hormones or to heal my like liver or anything else. So we often do that in women, especially right now, like like we get caught up in that where we want to see the fast weight loss results. But if we have all of these like chronic things going on, we have to heal that first. And then the weight will come off slowly. It'll come off in its own time. Yeah. It might take forever, but that's the right way to do it. Because if not, you're just going to constantly be on that hamster wheel of gaining and losing and gaining and losing and restriction and, you know, punishment and all that stuff. And it was so hard to break that because we are conditioned. I mean, mm -hmm. the inner dialogue that women in this country that I think anywhere in the world, but have, I mean, just we're, we're conditioned. Like if you're fat, you're not happy. If you're fat, you're unhealthy. If you're fat, you're not worth it. Right. Um, so we have this obsession with losing weight, but at what cost? Yep. And we use this mantra in our practice, redefine your relationship with food. And it is, it's that perspective shift of, I choose to eat foods that make my body feel awesome. And, you know, I, I choose to not have that blah, blah, blah at this party because it's going to make me feel like shit, you know, and it's not, yeah. it's going to drive a metabolic shit storm in my system and I'm going to feel achy. I'm going to have a change in, you know, and, and really making those connections of, how we can empower ourselves. And I also pulled from your intro, um, you said, love food that loves you back. And I thought that was so beautiful. And it's so simple and so legit, girl. I was like, yes, like you need to love food that loves you back. If the food doesn't love you back, stop wasting your time on it. It's an abusive right. boyfriend. Do it. Right. <laughs> but it also like to, and especially for women, like, like there's validity to the way you feel. We're, we're also told like our symptoms or, oh, the headache you get after eating gluten, like you're just making that up. Like, no, your symptoms are valid. Like the mood shift you feel, like people often, you know, with depression, like so much of like emotional or mental health is, is affected by our diet, but we're told over and over again, and we're told by doctors that like, no, it's just coincidence. Right, like, right. It's not coincidence. <laughs> so give yourself validity. Like you have to love yourself so you believe yourself. And so when you're getting these symptoms, like remember them, write them down. Like yes, yes. Don't eat what makes it happen. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And that's always it's your body giving you data. I love that. I'm gonna steal that and quote you in session. Yeah, love food that loves you back. Um, yeah. So. With your approach, Christina, of combining paleo, AIP, and keto all kind of in one, um, and I know you have over 140 by recipes, which is amazing in your new book. Um, our listeners are really familiar with paleo and keto, but probably, like Ali said, not as familiar with AIP and some of the foods that are removed and, and kind of what all this looks like. Right. Um, so can you go through just a, a basic breakdown of what's removed with AIP, how do the reintroductions work, um, and what's just some of the thought process behind all of that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the AIP is autoimmune protocol or autoimmune paleo, depending on where you're reading it from. But the, the way, the reason that the foods that are eliminated, right? And there's a very long list, but these foods are eliminated for various reasons, gut permeability or gut irritation or the high anti-nutrient content. And so pretty much all plant matter, right? Has anti-nutrients and there's different kinds. Um, I mean, you know, nuts, seeds, vegetables, and really just think about like in nature, like everything wants to survive and thrive and grow and reproduce, including plants. And so it's just their like natural defense system. Um, however, obviously other animals and mammals and omnivores, we eat, we've been eating plants since the beginning of time. And there are certain foods that have lower levels of anti-nutrients. Um, also cooking and preparing foods in certain ways lowers it as well. But a good example is like nightshades. Nightshades aren't a lot of autoimmune protocol, tomatoes, potatoes, peppers, um, or any kind of like chili pepper and like acai is a nightshade as well. Ashwagandha is a nightshade randomly. So there's like over 200 variations of nightshades. Most of them are like poisonous, like the deadly nightshade on like the, you know, the hiking trail that you don't want to eat. Right. But obviously tomatoes are totally edible, but you know, if people actually make pesticide from the, from the leaves, like they're, they do have a higher level of like this mild toxin, right? Um, other foods that are omitted, nuts, seeds, cacao, like all beans and legumes, so including coffee, chocolate, um, eggs are omitted, all dairy is omitted, any processed foods or emul like emulsifiers, sweeteners of the like anything. So you can only eat fruits, all fruits are allowed, um, and then you can eat vegetables except for the nightshades, and you can eat protein, animal, any, any animal protein is allowed except for eggs, and... And that's it. <laughs> and you can have coconut. Coconuts are allowed in moderation. Um, and fats like olive oil, um, lard, and um, avocado oil and stuff like that. And it can seem extremely restrictive because it's like, what are you going to bind with? Or what are you going to this? But um, it is a very healing and it's very nutrient dense diet. Most people on the autoimmune protocol are getting several servings of fruits and vegetables per day and like lots of protein. It is a high starch. The nature of the way people do it is very usually high starch because tapioca starch, cassava, sweet potato, plantain are used um, as like binders and thickeners and, you know, to make it tasty and make breads right. and whatever, you know, texture, texture and all that stuff. Um, so, but the AIP is normally done minimum, minimum 30 days up to... I don't know. Some people do it for like two years. Some people are hardcore and they'll do like the elimination phase first for until they're into full remission. Um, and then it reintroductions, I think are the most important part with any elimination diet, like even carnivore, yes. right? If you're, yes. if you're the most important part is the elimination phase because you have to have foods one at a time. You eat a little bit, you wait 24 hours, you eat a little bit more, you wait 24 hours, you eat a full portion, you wait like two days after that all clear next food and this takes forever so the reintroduction phase is because you have to do every nut every seed one by one not just like okay eat a trail mix and like call it a day <laughs> because you don't know which one's gonna be like cause a reaction and the reactions can be varying so yes i don't always just get like oh my hs flare like anything from swollen joints a runny nose migraines digestive distress bloating burping gas um, hives, psoriasis. I mean, I had various brain fog can be one. Yeah. <laughs> brain fog fatigue. Like, and it's so crazy how very specific foods tr trigger like specific things. So for me, I reintroduced ghee and I thought I was like fine with ghee and I had it in my diet for like a year. I even added grass fed butter 
And then I realized when I did an AIP keto reset, because I kind of do them periodically, that it was that was what was causing the flaky like patches, kind of like psoriasis patches, that they're really mild, but I just get it on my hairline and kind of next to my nose. And that was it. So I gave up ghee and butter, which I had been eating for a year and just moisturizing my face too much, like to, to avoid the flakiness. And I, I gave them up and then it, all of a sudden it was like completely gone. And I've tested it several times within hours of ingesting wow. ghee or, or butter. I get like a red patch on like my hairline. So and a lot of symptoms. Wow. Wow. So a lot of the foods that are removed beyond the high lectin foods that we see in like gluten and legumes and grains in general this is also looking at lectins in, like you said, most plants, looking at phytic acid, looking at oxalates, tannins, right. and then the mentioned solanine with nightshades and, and, and so saponin, right. Which, so like nuts, wheat, most vegetables, seeds, um, the gluten, obviously it's like a super high, like hard to digest protein. And then that one's just like a given, like, I don't think any, like anyone really does well. Right. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, some, and some are worse than others, obviously. And like everyone, like, like the lectin thing is like really big now. Um, yes. especially with and, thyroid, a lot of thyroid connections. Yeah. And it's sure. interesting because like, there's some foods that are even allowed on AIP, which might not serve you because right. like you know, zucchini or cucumber, right? Anything with like, I can't really eat cucumber. Like it's so weird, but if I eat cucumber, I'm burping cucumber the rest of the day. And like, that might seem normal to somebody, but once you do elimination diets, you kind of realize like, no, no, those little things aren't normal. <laughs> like my body's alarm system. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So the AIP is just this big, it's really the gold standard of elimination. Diet. It's like, if you can't afford to get blood work done for, right. you do the AIP. Yeah. Um, yep. And I think it's a great tool. And like you said, you have to be mentally there. And, and for people that are overwhelmed with that level of data, that's where we would do that MRT blood test and look at inflammatory mechanisms of these compounds. And it actually tests for in the chemical section, like solanine, and then particularly goes into eggplant, tomato, potato. And, and so you may have reactivity outside of a structural component. Um, it can be just specific antigen to the food. And like you said, it, it may even be within AIP protocol, but your system, your immune system and surveillance system of your body determines friend and foe. And so it is always gold standard to be really conscious of the connections and the feedback mechanisms as you reintroduce um, and as you do these protocols to understand after a two to three day window where you're at and, and take that as data. And I love the concept of, again, loving food that loves you back because you're using this to heal your body. It's a catalyst to optimize the function and honor your body, not to restrict and, um, you know, be victimized by it per se. Absolutely. And there's something cathartic about it. I mean, maybe because, you know, like a lot of people, we kind of use food as like that reward system slash like form of self-harm. Like anyone who binge eats, like that's, you know, like it's, it's, there's a lot of guilt there yeah. and there's a lot of like, you know, food is self-harm in a way. And I think that being able to like accomplishing the autoimmune protocol, like getting through it, um, was really a form of like, it was a form of self-care and that was healing. And the fact that I spent so much time like shopping for these ingredients and preparing this food and doing the research, like that's a big investment in myself and in my, in my health. And that goes up to show like, that is a big like self-care practice right there. <laughs> for sure. For sure. That's amazing. Um, so we just did an episode prior to this one, um, episode 93 on driving remission and managing autoimmune disease flares. And I'm curious, Christina, if you've had any setbacks in this journey, um, what have been like the big culprits and then what are your go-to tools 
when you know that you've got into something that's driving a flare or that's uh, driving symptoms in your body. So something really difficult to like, I guess a hard pill to swallow was that stress is a flare. It, it, it's going to cause a flare. I don't, it doesn't matter what, <laughs> if I'm doing everything right. And that's, that was hard. Cause I thought like, I'm going to do everything right. And it's all going to be fine. But, um, as I, as I soon learned, especially as a work at home mom, um, that, that like, there's a level of stress there that it's going to cause my body to start shutting down to, to react and cause inflammation. And so, um, having coping mechanisms has been really integ like integral to that. And I think a big one and a hard one is being able to ask for help. Like, it doesn't matter if my, my husband, bless his heart, he's so helpful. Like right now, he's been with my son all day because I've been working all day and they've been doing, I don't know what. But <laughs> um, the, to be like, hey, babe, I know you're picking up all my slack and you're amazing, but I need more from you. Like I need you to put, give him a bath and put him to bed and let me sleep in tomorrow morning because right now I don't feel good. And I need this to be able to get over this flare. Um, because living with autoimmunity, you're always going to have, like you can, you can go from living at 30% to go to living at 100%, right? But even at 100%, you're going to have those moments because you're going to go to a restaurant that doesn't understand what gluten-free is or you're, or, you know, I, like, what was it in December last year? I went out for dinner with friends and I ordered the steak tartare and I was so obsessed with nightshades in it because I thought it, like, I don't know why I thought it'd be gluten-free, but of course, Worcestershire sauce and soy sauce, neither. Oh my goodness. So I ate the steak tartare and then the next day I was dying. It took me 20 days to recover wow. from that one. Uh, I mean, I'm functional, right? But the brain fog, the fatigue, I got like an HS flare, which I hadn't had in so long. Um, however, you, you said ahead. you do a kickstart. You called it like a, a keto AIP reset. reset. What does that right. look like for you? So that's pretty much keto, right? But with AIP. So I do a okay. very low carb. So I do keto, no nuts, no nightshades, no dairy, which is like how most of my book is, but also no eggs no sweeteners, no like shenanigans, in other okay. words. Okay. Um, there are 117 AIP compliant recipes in my book or with AIP modifications um, because I know that this is like a niche which is like not really explored in keto, but I'm such a yes. fan of the elimination pro of the AIP because of what it did for me. And like, I can't eat nightshades. Like I think there's a lot of people eating nightshades that shouldn't eat nightshades. Like people who have, anyone who has like super weird underlying inflammatory yeah. issues despite having a really clean diet nightshades might be worth looking into for <laughs> sure there so yeah um the flares um magnesium up my magnesium intake take a lot of turmeric drink a lot of bone broth sleep a lot and i don't work out like because even working out is kind of a form of stress for your body you know so yeah. I totally agree. And I think unfortunately people go for that in a, as a crux and they're feeling stress versus just getting into that, find your mellow, <laughs> like let it mellow out because the body doesn't need to be running from a cheetah right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So let's talk. I, I, I like also in the book, let's talk about the food um, because now people are like, okay, this is intriguing. I might want to do this, but what the heck am I going to eat? Um, <laughs> so you said another thing, I, I pulled a lot of pull quotes from you. Um, I, uh, this book is a, I cook for my family every damn day book. <laughs> and I think that sounds awesome because some of us that are listening to this might be like, okay, I can't have this. I can't have that. And, um, I think there are so many books out there, especially for a newbie of paleo or AIP and they get really overwhelmed or intimidated and are worried about this, like, okay, short order of what am I going to make for other household members. So tell me how you took this approach and how your book and, uh, and the recipes within it are different. So with 
so one thing I tell people with my recipes is like, because I was a restaurant chef and I had like, I have commercial kitchen experience, something that you learn from kitchen, from commercial kitchen experience, like talking about, you know, feeding 200 people from a food truck at like a music festival or catering a wedding or just working a lunch rush where you're creating, literally making 60 meals, you know, in like a two hour window, you get really efficient um, at cooking and you yeah. learn like shortcuts in a way. And I also, something like I was telling someone, like, I also don't focus so much on creating keto fied versions of things. Whereas I just create meals that satisfy cravings because they have complex flavors and textures and like they're nutrient dense. And so for like family friendly meals, I do a lot of like one skillet meals. I do a lot of meals that have lots of leftovers. So like if you're making the meatball recipe, it's going to make like 15 or 20 meatballs. So you're going to have extras. So the next day you can just heat them up. I have like cheap pan meals and I have pressure cooker meals and slow cooker meals. And a lot of my entrees also have sides like included with them in the recipe. Cause that's one thing I kind of don't like from sometimes when I'm in a cookbook, like if I want to look for a recipe, like, great, I'm going to spend three hours making this, this thing, but then what do I serve it with? And that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah. So I wrote the, so go, go ahead. ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> so I wrote the, I wrote the recipes, um, in the way that, um, it kind of, they walk you through the process. Like you're not going to be left, like feel, um, abandoned. Like the recipes really kind of carry you through the process of not just cooking the meal, but like cr not just cooking the dish, but creating a meal from it. Yeah. I was really stoked. I made the short ribs. I'll, I'll talk recipe favorites in a moment, but the short ribs, actually my husband made it. I, I can't say I did, <laughs> which is better. That's a good testament because he's a rule follower. I'm really bad at following recipes. I'm like, ah, I have this do to do. So I know how much I loved it, that it was your recipe 110% because <laughs> he's like a type A rule follower. And um, I loved that they had, right, we added the collard greens and cabbage in there. And so we didn't have to do a vegetable side, whereas most short rib recipes, you're right, then you're like racking your brain like, okay, I guess I could roast some cauliflower with ghee and turmeric and da, 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 and it's a whole other thing that may not have made the list. Right. So that was really a great, a great ad. Thanks. I love that. And I'm super excited to delve into some of the recipes. I had Allie text me the short rib recipe last yeah. night and I started <laughs> it, my own version of it this morning. I'm not a rule follower. So I think I did. I had frozen cherries instead of the blueberries. Oh, perfect. And I'm like, yeah. this could be kind of amazing, actually. I will let you know. I'll Instagram it later. Um, so I love though all of the just different substitutions and variations that take into account elimination diets and AIP friendly options. Um, I want to talk um, just in terms of your your kind of culinary background. What like three of your favorite swap outs are for some of the ingredient limitations of AIP? So like eggs, black pepper. What do you do instead? What are your go-tos or your, your favorite tricks? Yeah. So one of my favorite tricks is I think on keto AIP, the hardest thing to find is how to thicken sauces because you can't use starches and you can't use heavy cream and then you don't, oh, you can't use egg yolks and then you don't want to use like coconut cream all the time because it can change the flavor. So one of my favorite hacks is gelatin. Like I use 
gelatin to cook with all the time. I love adding it to meatballs. It's a really good binder and it kind of adds a yummy, like sticky chewiness to the meatballs. Ooh, yeah. Um, which I have sticky pesto meatballs in the cookbook. And Ali, if you have leftover pesto, I know you made some pesto. I did, yeah. Yeah, there's they're so good. And it's and they're sticky and great. But like I have a recipe, it's not actually not in the book, but it's on my blog. But I use the method in the book where you kind of bloom like let's say coconut aminos or vinegar or whatever, and then you you stir that gelled mass of like whatever flavor thing you want into a little bit of broth and it's going to create this like glaze and it's a great way to get a nice thick glazy sauce um without having to use a starch and so i i think gelatin is just one of those extremely versatile kitchen things plus as we know it's phenomenal for gut health and right. protein hair skin nails um so that's one of my favorite things like for starches and for eggs and stuff i love gelatin um another one of my favorite hacks is using cauliflower. I, I love cauliflower. I can write a book on cauliflower. It's like they, I use cauliflower <laughs> for everything. Um, it's just such a versatile vegetable. It's kind of like a blank slate. And I think that um, like frozen cauliflower is great in smoothies. Um, I like to do steamed cauliflower. I usually like steam cauliflower and I even freeze it or just keep it on hand because if you puree some cauliflower with a little bit of bone broth, you can add it to thicken recipes as well to make a cream base without having to use coconut. Um, and it's just, it's just a beautiful, um, like you can even use it in like a oatmeal, like riced cauliflower. Oh yeah. Um, I have tortillas in the book made with cauliflower. Um, well, I guess those take eggs. So it's not AIP, but. Oh, tell us about it. your hard cheese, your hard cheese. I haven't oh, made it. Yeah. Like, what? I saw so that cauliflower other in that. <laughs> yeah. So cauliflower, like it's a base for everything. Like, and it's a blank slate. Like people think, oh, cauliflower, cruciferous. Like, yes, if you roast it or cook it certain ways, you're going to get that like smelly, typical cauliflower. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's not, it's not always like, it really depends on how you use it. So yeah, I have a creamy cheese sauce, which is like super easy, five ingredients. And then I have the hard cheese, which also uses gelatin. And so um, I use nutritional yeast and you can get like non-fortified nutritional yeast, which is important if you have the MTH. Yes. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the right, most nutritional yeast. I'm anti-nutritional yeast for that reason. Yes. Cause it's folic acid. Oh yeah, girl. So they have, and you can get it on Amazon non-fortified. Non yeah. Okay. Done deal. Yeah. Uh, and so, sure we find that and link to it. Definitely. <laughs> going in the show note links. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so good. I mean, I love nutrition, especially if you can't do dairy. And so you mix right. like cauliflower with herbs and olive oil and, and Italian herbs and garlic and you put nutritional yeast and you make this like paste kind of mix and then you put it in a mold and you put it in the fridge and because of the gelatin it firms up and you can grate this cheese you can slice it and you can what? it melts like you can melt it it's so good oh um, my gosh and for someone who hasn't had cheese in forever it's really it's like i love it i even have another recipe in the book where you stuff turkey burgers with the cheese and it what? like it oozes out of the burgers and it even like browns in the oven like actual cheese browns it's so good Amazing. And how about for black pepper, which is pretty ubiquitous? I, I always have people when they have reaction to that asking, can I use white pepper? And I'm like, no, but so, <laughs> what, yeah. what are your big spice kind of replacements? Crazy, crazy thing about black pepper is black pepper is actually a, it's a peppercorn and peppercorns are actually berries or dried berries. So they're not nightshades. And some versions of the AIP actually keep it in, which is strange. So it's I, I thank goodness don't react to black pepper, but for a long time I did omit it. And I think in general people miss spices, right? Because you can't eat any kind of chili pepper. Right. So ginger is a big one. 
a little bit of um you can do a little bit of allspice right because it's um sure it's not a seed i forget what the allspice is but you can do anything that's like it's another one it's like that you grate it but a little bit of nutmeg um cinnamon don't be scared to cook with cinnamon cinnamon is really good in savory dishes mm -hmm. especially with meats and horseradish is phenomenal for that spice um, yeah good kick yeah it gives a good kick you can even if you get some good quality wasabi that doesn't have like the fillers and stuff you can throw that in dishes for a good kick uh, and don't be afraid garlic man if you use enough garlic it's gonna give you some spice <laughs> especially if it's like raw if you add a little minced fresh garlic to dishes it'll give you that that like you know, you'll not, you have like really bad breath, but it'll be <laughs> vampires away. That's good. Exactly. <laughs> oh, good. Huge immune boosts too. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Good. Oh, it's so helpful. The gelatin thing is like, I, I just haven't thought of the level of versatility. So I feel like there's, that's going to be a big game changer for me for certain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be playing with that and everything. So awesome. And I know, Allie, your favorite recipe so far, short ribs, but wasn't Stella's birthday cake also? Yeah, modified from the chocolate okay. muffins. Yep. And yep. she said, as, as Christina said, I made the pea stew with, uh, with uh, hemp seeds, um, mm. which I have yet to do because I usually just put pine nut, like, you know, a traditional pine nut into a pesto type deal. So yeah, that was awesome as well. But I think I have on my list still, I want to make the cauliflower Alfredo, speaking of mm. cauliflower everything, <laughs> and the chicken and dumpling soup. Um, I got a, I have a killer batch of bone broth that I, I let go for 48 hours and I'm like, I need to really do this justice. So I think that I'll be making your chicken and dumplings. Yes. Those are so, I was so surprised when the dumplings turned out as well as they did because coconut cool. flour is so finicky, but, um, I really, it's just, it's just like the pie crust recipe made into balls and then you dump it in the soup. Oh. Um, and it's so, it's really like, I love that recipe. It's such a comforting soup without being like overly heavy. And um, yeah, I had, I had a lot of fun writing these and I, you know, what a good testament to the book and to the kind of recipes in here. And I have a lot of my followers tell me this where they're like, you know, I love your recipes and I eat them all the time. And then I kind of go off plan and like maybe try some other keto recipes and I immediately feel the difference. Like there might be like low carb, but they're not necessarily like good for me. Huh. Um, I got extremely healthy writing this book. Like in, <laughs> in the five months that I wrote this book, I like got, I like got super lean and had tons of, I mean, I wrote this book in five months. Wow. Like I was on it. That's amazing. <laughs> and I photographed it. I turned in my manuscript five months and you know, it really is just goes to show like it's the recipes are nourishing and they're healing and um, yeah, they're just, I'm really proud of them. And they're so diverse. And, and like I said, the ones that I've experienced are to the T execution, which is awesome because I can't tell you how many times you go out and you buy these expensive and you know, us living this lifestyle, but for some listeners that this is new, you buy these expensive mm -hmm. new ingredients and you have a, like you said, coconut flour can be such a culprit of a fail. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like you make this whole thing, you go through the whole process and it's like a hockey puck and your family looks at you and you feel like a fail and that can really throw off your healing journey. So it's so important that your book provides execution that's flavorful. And I love the blend of the culinary background as well as an individual who's really made herself whole in the process. So super excited to share it as a resource with our listeners. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so you share recipes, your general everything, positivity, vibes, and journey at thecastawaykitchen.com. Um, yeah. And your book is now in most stores. Actually, um, the, book, the book actually launches next week on the 17th. 
Okay. So well, this comes yeah. out the 23rd, so it's out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there we're you the go. Future. So it's out. Okay. <laughs> we're in the future, so it's out. Right. Yeah, it's out in stores everywhere. And um, yeah, I have tons of free recipes on my blog too. And I have several that are AIP and keto and like meal plans that are AIP and keto if people want to dabble in that before like committing awesome. to my 400 page beast of a book. Because I, <laughs> I totally get that. And the book isn't all AIP. Like I use eggs in it and stuff. Right. But um, yeah, I love. I love this community and I, I love the, you know, the message that food is thy medicine. For sure. I love it. We'll make sure we link to all the things to your website and your book. Um, final question, Christina. So as dietitians, we have to ask everyone that we have on the podcast for their 24 hour recall. So I want to know what you ate yesterday from the time that you woke up to the time that you went to bed. Okay. So yesterday I woke up and it was like a really random cool day over here in Nova. Um, so I always make coffee. I, I'm a coffee snob. So I always get like organic um, light roast single origin. Um, and I blend it with my homemade coffee creamer, which I do um, activated uh, cashews with MCT oil, Ceylon cinnamon, pink Himalayan salt and water. And it like makes this creamy, yummy coffee creamer. So I mix that. So I have about two cups of that. Um, and then around like noon ish, um, we had lunch and I had lunch. Did I eat lunch with my husband yesterday? Um, cause we were hanging paintings. Yeah. And so for lunch yesterday, I reheated, I made this pull, uh, pork in the pressure cooker. Um, that was like pressure with, a with peaches and sage. It was really good for my, like my CSA box. Um, so had those in like lettuce cups and then I had a fat bomb in the afternoon, which is like dark chocolate um, with some coconut oil and a little coconut cream. And then for dinner, I made um, chicken breast seared. Oh my God, in the Primal Palette breakfast blend seasoning, which yeah. is it's so good. And then with zoodles and the pistou from my book. Oh, fantastic. That sounds Can we like, come over? I know. <laughs> That's my favorite 24 hour recall ever. <laughs> And legit, because I watch your Instagram stories and I saw it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I pretty much like, you know what I eat if you watch my stories, but I'm always posting my food, um, which I've actually started doing like what I ate in a day post on my Instagram. Yeah. I think people do struggle with that. Like, so what does this look like? And because I eat intuitively, how I eat changes every day. Yep. And, and that's, that's the best part is that, again, kind of keeping that connection and that, that redefining of the relationship and how food is a tool and using it to catapult the process. And I love how we're also on that same mindset of whole real food. And I know you mentioned with like the, the peaches in there, it's like, yeah, there's like four peaches in this entire thing. And <laughs> Don't be keto policing me because I'm still well below 30 grams of carbs today. So right, it doesn't have to be black and white, yes or no. Exactly. Um, we can eat real whole foods that heal and we can eat within season and eat locally and all of these other benefits that give us that diversity of, of optimal health and, and food as medicine. Absolutely. Yeah, I love what you do. I mean, when I saw you at Philly Effects, I was like, oh my God, this woman and her brain. And I love it. And I just, I was like, I knew instantly. I'm like, we got to do something because yeah, I love, I love your work. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's been such a pleasure having you on here. And yes, I'm sure we won't be strangers and um, we'll do another something fun, hopefully with better technology connection on a, a oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> all right, girl. Thanks for coming on here. We'll put the link to the book and all good things out um, in the show notes. Awesome. And um, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. 
Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.